0: Kids and uh, middle school kids can head out as well. Uh, There's an American author named Flannery O'Connor, and she once wrote this uh, question in her prayer journal. She wrote the question, can anyone teach me how to pray? Can anyone teach me how to pray? I don't know about you, but I can relate to that sentiment because uh, prayer is kind of a tricky, a tricky thing. We have people here at Wellspring who I'm sure are all over the map in terms of where they are in their spiritual journey with God. There's some folks that are just still trying to figure it out uh, in general, whether they really believe it or not. Um, There's some folks that maybe are kind of new uh, in that journey and are are starting to put the pieces together of what it means to be a follower of Christ. There's others of us here that have been following him for two, three, four decades um, as well. And I would venture to guess that no matter where we are on that spectrum, that all of us have experienced some level of disillusion or frustration or disappointment uh, with prayer. Uh, Multiple times. Uh, From time to time, every day, every moment, um, communicating with God, a God that we can't physically see, is a mystery. It's a mystery to wrap our our minds and our hearts around, to say the least. So because prayer is a challenge uh, for many of us, uh, I thought we would take some time this summer, we're going to be kind of starting this series, um, to take a look at, at the prayers that Paul prayed Um, that he wrote in in the letters that he wrote in the New Testament. I think there's some things that we can learn from that. Uh, Paul wrote a large part of the New Testament, so we're going to look at his prayer life a little bit. Um, Paul is a guy who, if you've read many of his letters, um, he multiple times would say things like this. He would say, pray continually or pray without ceasing. And there's always this great debate with people from time to time. It's like, w- what did he mean by that, right? And you get this sense from Paul that, that his connection with God was just ongoing. Uh, sometimes, it, it, maybe it seems like almost in a moment-by-moment basis um, that he was constantly coming before God and just had this continual dependence on him, almost kind of like breathing itself. Paul prayed, And you see his conviction to pray when you look at the letters that he wrote to the early church that he planted and helped get started in the first century. So as we dive into this series, I want to begin by kind of painting a little bit of context for you of of Paul's life and ministry. What were some of the the variables that he was dealing with in the first century um, Middle Eastern area? So after Jesus' birth, death, resurrection, and then ascension into heaven... Um, around 33 AD, there's this small band of followers, uh, the first Christians that are still there, um, and they're primarily in Jerusalem. And Paul at that time is a guy who's uh, called a Pharisee. A Pharisee was a Jewish religious leader who was very strict at trying to obey the Old Testament law. And they were people that Jesus kind of went back and forth with a lot because they tended to to really focus on the law, but would lose the spirit of the law or the love that's supposed to go along with the law in their in their legalism. And Paul was one of those guys, and he was well trained and he was educated, and he did not believe that Jesus was the savior, the Messiah, the Jewish people were waiting on. And so he attacked the early church, and his goal was to try to wipe them out. He killed Christians. And if you've read the story, and you can read about it in the book of Acts, God gets a hold of Paul's life. One day he's traveling on the road, and he, literally Jesus shows up to him in a blinding light and blinds him physically and, and, and basically taps him on the shoulder and says, hey, you are going to be my chosen mouthpiece, my spokesperson to the Gentiles, to the non-Jewish people in and around the Mediterranean area. So sure enough, that's what happened. And so he took a few years. Uh, first of all, people were really scared of him because he'd been the one killing all the Christians. And so now he comes around and says, hey, I'm really your friend, right? Okay, so that took a little bit of time to get used to and earn a little bit of trust. But after a while, he began, he was sent out, and he was going into places that had never heard about Christ. Um, you know, he kind of moved up the coast of the Mediterranean, I'm going to think backwards for you guys, and around into Europe, Okay. And to Greece and Rome and those areas. And he's planting churches. He's, he's equipping leaders to lead those churches. He's equipping other, other missionaries to go out as well. So these are the things that he's doing. And today, um, we have several letters that he wrote uh, in, in your New Testament to churches uh, in cities like Colossae and Philippi and Ephesus and Corinth and Thessalonica and the ways that he encouraged them in their faith through these letters. Now, it's important for us to understand that when Paul wrote these letters, most of them were written in the 50s and 60s AD, that these were written before the Gospels were written. So the stories about Jesus, the words that he spoke that are recorded in Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John weren't written until the 60s and beyond. So when people get these letters from Paul, this is all they have about who Jesus was, what kind of life he called us to. And so the things that he wrote in there were just rich and people just clung to those things because they're trying to follow this Jesus that many of them never saw, most of them didn't, and and don't really have his words. It's all oral teaching, um, at least in print, okay? So not only were his letters important in terms of them understanding what Christianity even was, but his life and the life of his traveling partners who were Christ followers was so important because people watched them to see how to be Jesus, how to be like him. Okay, so his life was a living testimony. So this is kind of the world uh, that he's stepping into, and he's stepping into a world where most of these folks had been um, polytheists. they had believed in many gods. Um, these were folks that were like the people in Jerusalem. They were under the Roman oppression and occupation, so they're dealing with those factors. Uh, a Roman uh, empire that for the first 200 years of Christianity really, really persecuted them and really tried to wipe them out as they didn't want them to rise up as this opposition to, to Rome. And so all of this stuff is going on. And so literally at that point when Paul is writing, to be a Christian was really to risk your life. That's what you were signing up for. You were saying, I'm willing to die for this, because a lot of people did. Okay? So it was a time that was, on the one hand, exciting, because this, this church is spreading and building, but on the other hand was, was pretty desperate as well. So in the midst of those circumstances, Paul writes these letters to various churches and he has a lot to say about prayer. And I thought it'd be interesting this summer to take a look at the content of Paul's prayers, what it is that he said. And um, hopefully we can learn a lot from this guy. So um, there's two main ways that we learn how to pray, okay? The first is to listen to the prayers of others and then to kind of mimic those prayers, all right, so all three of my kids had the lovely Mrs. Richardson at St. Joe Christian. Anybody else, uh, kids have Mrs. Richardson out there? Yeah, a few folks, yeah. She's this amazing teacher, okay? And this woman prays. And if, if, if Mrs. Richardson prays for anything, she prays for this. She prays for a hedge of protection around people, okay? So if you've, your kids have had her, you know that that's true. So here my kids come home, You know, five, six years old, and they're, you know, getting down to do their prayers at night before they go to bed, and they are praying for hedges of protection around everyone they can think of, right? I don't even think they knew what a hedge of protection was, but they're listening to their teacher and they're learning to pray like she prays, okay? Um, And so we pick up these phrases and perspectives of the people that we hear praying in our midst, almost kind of like how you would acquire a new language. If you went to a foreign country, you would listen to the things people said, the phrases and things, and you'd start picking those things up. So we listen and and copy others, but ultimately, the second way we learn how to pray is we just do it, right? Like at some point, you kind of have to build up the courage, the boldness to just start praying, especially if you're in out loud settings where that might be uncomfortable. At some point, you just have to start doing it and just get some experience, And one of my favorite stories of a new believer kind of learning to to pray in public um, was told to me by a pastor friend of mine. And my friend was working at a church several years ago and they were doing a men's retreat. And at the men's retreat, it's kind of the end of the weekend, and he's like, I want to gather all these guys up here for a closing prayer. So there's this new convert, you know, that's that's just come to Christ, that's in his group. This guy was kind of a biker guy, tattoos everywhere, kind of a little bit rough around the edges. But, you know, he's trying to change and and he's excited about this. And so my pastor friend is like, this is what I'm going to do. I'm going to just kind of challenge this guy a little bit and invite this guy to pray to close out this weekend. And so he says, hey, you know, would you pray? And, And the biker guy was like, sure, sure, I'll do that. And so they gather up and this was his prayer. Okay, his first public prayer ever. This is how it started. He said, Satan you son of a <laughs> fill-in-the-blank, right? I mean, my friend just about died. But you've got to love the genuineness of this dude, right? Because he nailed it. I mean, Satan is a SOB, right? And so from the very beginning, he was like, Satan, you son of a bug. Yeah, it was pretty funny. So you never know what you're going to get sometimes when you open up the, the floor. Um, my first steps in praying occurred when I, I didn't go to church growing up. So the first time I really heard much prayer was when I would go to friends' houses who, you know, were churchgoers. And I had this one friend in particular. His name was Danny. And I would go to his house, and he was a Methodist. And um, so they prayed before every meal. And, so, and they did the same prayer every time. And so I got to know this prayer uh, pretty quickly. And this is what they would pray. They would say, be present at our table, Lord. Be here in every word, Lord. These morsels bless and grant that we may live in harmony with thee. Amen. And so they prayed that every night. That's the only prayer I ever heard them pray, the only time I ever heard them pray, and it was the only prayer I knew, besides for like, you know, now I lay me down to sleep, those kinds of things. So that's the only prayer I knew for years. Anybody else have some some first memories of listening to other people pray or like trying to pray yourself or like things your kids have prayed, just some... Just how, how people are learning to pray. How you learned or how you've seen others. Anything out there that would be fun to share? Yeah, Becca. We were having our fun the guest house. Yeah. I a little guy volunteered to pray for our snack. And he goes, and thank you for all these, and he opens the eyes tall people who came to play with us today. Thank you for all these tall people who came to play with us today. Yeah. That was a neighborhood kid. Yeah, great. Anybody else? Yeah, Brad. Yeah. Getting those guys Definitely came out, I think one was like, I don't know here. Amen. Yeah. yeah. Yeah, he's talking about his college football team. They had a study and and yeah, guys learning to do that and, and taking the risks uh, at times. Yeah, to to put words together, right? So, um, anybody else? That's good stuff. How many of you had like a grandparent or a grandma or somebody that prayed that you just really learned from listening to to them or a parent that did that over you? Yeah, you know, th- we learn a lot from from hearing the prayers of others. So. Good stuff, good stuff. So prayer for me um, has been a journey. And I've been a Christian now for almost 30 years, and I have tried a lot of stuff when it comes to prayer. Prayer, I'm a reader, so I would read the Bible all day long as opposed to pray. Pray is like a battle, a struggle for me. And so I've tried all kinds of things to kind of keep it fresh and exciting in my life. And so I've tried making prayer lists, you know, where I'd write down the names of all the people or things I want to pray for. I've tried making prayer charts where I would pray for these people on Monday, these people on Tuesday, you know, and I had this thing. I've tried praying um, prayer kind of formulas like where every time I pray for, I adore God, I confess to God, I pray with thanksgiving, I pray for the things I want to see happen and I would do that every day. Um, I've taken prayer walks. I've prayed in silence where I don't really say anything and I just listen, Um I write in prayer journals. And some of those things I've done for not very long and because it was a bust and it didn't, didn't work at all. Um, other things I've prayed for a while. Other things I've prayed for years or, or, or strategies or techniques that I've used. And so uh, it's been all, a little bit all over the map. But um, one of the things that I've learned throughout this process is that how we pray is less important than what we pray. And, and really even more important than that is the posture in which we come before God. The most important thing for me, I think, in, in prayer is a recognition, uh, an acknowledgement um, that we have this need to worship, to adore, to praise, to honor, and remind ourselves that there is a God and it isn't us, all Right. So that's one thing that I think that I've learned over time uh, is that I have that need to worship. And the second thing is that I have a need for connection, I think we all have this, this sense or this desire that some, to know that someone is there, right? That someone cares, someone loves me through my worst, that there is a God who listens, that there's a God who speaks, and that ultimately there's just a God that, that can do something about my circumstances, right? That has the power to change things, to change me, to change the people around me, all of that stuff. And luckily, God has also given us his word to teach us how to pray, So I want to go to his word right now. If you can open your Bibles to 2 Corinthians. 2 Corinthians chapter 1, it's page 803. And one of the things that you notice when you read Paul's letters and his writing um, when he tries to encourage his brothers and sisters in Christ, um, and what he prayed for them is, you notice that um, he believed that it worked. He believed that it, it wasn't a waste of time to pray, but that it was a vital and essential discipline of the Christian faith. And Paul loved to pray for other people, to, to intercede on their behalf. And some of the time, maybe you've heard the phrase intercessory prayer. Okay, that basically is just a fancy way to say praying for others. And I would, I would venture to guess that that's, that's probably one of the things that if we pray, we tend to do the most, is we, we like to pray on behalf of other people, because we, we want them to know that we care, we want to see something happen, we're hurting for them, we've got compassion for them, and so we enter in and pray for our friends, our family, sometimes even um, our enemies. And I want to start this sermon series today by looking at what Paul says in 2 Corinthians chapter 1, uh, starting in verse 8. And I want you guys to be thinking about, as we go down through verse 11, what is it that Paul is communicating about prayer in this? So he says to his friends in Corinth, in verse 8, we do not want you to be uninformed, brothers and sisters, about the troubles we experienced in the province of Asia. We were under great pressure, far beyond our ability to endure, so that we despaired of life itself. Indeed, we felt we had received the sentence of death. So, what, what is Paul saying about prayer here? Anything that you're picking up on in terms of what he is trying to communicate to the Corinthians? You want to say something, Randy? Yeah, yeah. <laughs> you look like you do. Yeah, what do you got? Well, first off, what I thought was um, you better stand for something or fall for anything and show gratitude for everything that God has given you. Okay. An offer of gratitude for yeah. So prayer involves offering gratitude and thanks. We see that, definitely. What else? Oh, way in the back. Yes. I'm sorry, say it again. Okay, sometimes you have to experience the worst. So he'd been through some painful circumstances, but he was still able to find joy in the midst of that. Yeah. Anything else you see him communicating there? He's encouraging them to what now? To continue to pray for for him. For him, okay. He's encouraging them to continue to pray for him, okay? So, um, Paul describes this horrendous situation that he found himself in. Circumstances that he said made him and his traveling party think, man, we are not going to make it. Like, this is it. (laughs) We've reached the end of the road. We are going to die. And it's important when he's communicating. It's not really important. You don't see him spending a lot of time talking about the details of the circumstances. He doesn't spend a lot of time talking about exactly what happened. That's not what he wants to communicate. What he wants to communicate to them is this, is that this young church, he says, he, he ties his deliverance from his circumstances closely to the prayers that they offered on his behalf. And so he's trying to communicate to them, guys, listen, God has delivered us. He will continue to deliver us as you help us by your prayers. See, Paul is teaching them that prayer works, that prayer is vital. And not only that, but guys, your prayers saved my life. He wants them to know that. And one of the principles of prayer that Paul is teaching us is that through intercessory prayer, we get the opportunity to partner with God. Um, in helping those in need. And that's, that's a huge privilege. And over the course of being a Christian for so long, I mean, I've prayed for untold numbers of people in 30 years, and I've prayed sometimes for, for days, I've prayed sometimes for weeks, sometimes for months, sometimes for years, for God to do something in someone's life. And I can't tell you how amazing it is, however long that time of prayer is, when you finally see breakthrough. When you finally see deliverance, when you finally see freedom, when you see transformation, when you see hope, or whatever it is that God is stirring up in that person's life that you've been praying for, how fulfilling that is to know that I got to be a part of that. Now, Could could God have changed their life or their circumstances without me praying? Absolutely. But he gave me the opportunity to enter in to that. And to receive part of the blessing of seeing the change. And also it communicated to my friend, hey, I'm in this with you. Right? I'm not just standing back and saying, yeah, I hope God does something for you. But I'm laboring with you. I'm, I'm beseeching, beseeching God on your behalf day in and day out. Because what happens when we see God move as a result of our prayers? Look at verse 11 again. It says, many will give thanks on our behalf for the gracious favor granted us in an answer to the prayers of many that's kind of what Randy was talking about, many will give thanks. It will be gratitude. God will be glorified and praised. And that's the ultimate thing that we want to have happen, is that God gets glory in the midst of it. And secondly, that in community, when we enter into prayer with more than just ourselves, when we invite other people in with us, and we gather around somebody and we pray, there's a heightened sense of joy. right? It's like when you hear good news, right, and nobody's there. You know, it's like the guy who goes out and gets a hole-in-one with no one around, right? That's not that exciting, right? But when there's three or four other guys with you and like, you can give them high fives and take a picture, like then it's exciting, right? When you see prayer happen and you look at these other people who you've battled with and you guys have labored together praying for this person, you're like, yeah, man, this was not a waste of time here, right? This was amazing. God did something great. And he wants us to experience that in community. And Paul wanted the people in Corinth to know Hey, guys, our deliverance from that near-death situation was because of you, because of your faithfulness in praying for us. It worked. And this series of looking at the prayers of Paul in Scripture is not going to be about me trying to prove to you that prayer works. Okay? That's a different discussion. And, and if you want to talk to me about that, we can do that as well. Okay, I'm not trying to convince you of anything necessarily. My primary desires are going to be twofold. One is to try to learn along with you about the nature of prayer, and specifically what it is that we should be praying for others by looking at the examples that of Paul's prayers for people. Because I don't know about you, but sometimes when I um, go to God and I've got somebody else, you know, that I'm praying for, um, sometimes I just I don't even know what to pray. <laughs> And sometimes that's okay because God said the Spirit knows and the Spirit utters words that we can't even express. But sometimes I wish I knew or at least I wish I maybe took the time to think what is it that I'm really hoping that God will do in their life? What is it that I want to see happen there? And praying specifically towards that end. So I hope we grow in a little bit of our understanding of that. But secondly, I want to learn about what the very act of prayer does in us. Like, as we pray, what is it that God is trying to change, to transform, to shape in us? Because prayer is more than just what, what God does in that other person's life. He's trying to do something in us as we pray, okay? Okay? And we take the time and we humbly get on our knees before God. And I heard this quote this week. If we can put that up on the screen. If you want to know what a man believes, don't tell me what he says. Tell me what he prays. A man may say many things, but when he prays, his heart is fully revealed. And I can tell a lot about people when I pray with them. Because it is, it's kind of like a window to their soul has been opened. And more so than just in having conversations with people, when, when I come before God with people and I hear them pray, I learn a lot about the level of faith that they have, the level of hope that they have in that situation, that God can show up and do something. Um, I learn about their care for people, the, the amount of compassion um, their willingness to enter in and not just, you know, say I'll pray for you and God bless that person, whatever. I learn a ton by, by listening to people pray. That tells me a lot about who they are. That tells me sometimes that they've been through tough times themselves. That they've seen God come through and they believe he can do it again. And I do tell you this, that when you pray for someone and you have hope and you have this understanding, this belief about God that he's powerful enough to do something in their situation, man, it is so encouraging to the person who's struggling, who's listening. But you know what it does for me is that every time that I say those things that I believe about God, man, it puts the roots deeper into my heart. As I pray these things and in these circumstances that sometimes I'm struggling to be like, man, I God, I don't know how you're going to get us out of this one it cements that truth deeper in my heart that like, man, yes, God, I'm, I'm not praying these things. These aren't empty words. I believe in what you're gonna do in this situation. I wanna close today uh, with a passage from a book with the creative title, Prayer, by a guy named Timothy Keller. And this is what he says. He talks about um, our outer life, kind of what people see on the surface, and our inner life, what God's doing in us. He says, if we give priority to the outer life, our inner life will be dark and scary. We will not know what to do with solitude. We will be deeply uncomfortable with self-examination. We will have an increasingly short attention span for any kind of reflection. Even more seriously, our lives will lack integrity. Outwardly, we will need to project confidence, spiritual and emotional health, and wholeness, while inwardly, we may be filled with self-doubts. Anxieties, self-pity, and old grudges. Yet we won't know how to go into the inner rooms of the heart, see clearly what is there, and deal with it. In short, unless we put a priority on the inner life, we turn ourselves into hypocrites. The 17th century English theologian John Owen wrote a warning to popular and successful ministers. A minister may fill the pews, the mouths of the public, But what that minister is on his knees in secret before God Almighty, that he is and no more. I think that goes for anyone, not just ministers. To discover the real you, look at what you spend time thinking about when no one is looking. When nothing is forcing you to think about anything in particular, at such moments do your thoughts go toward God. You may want to be seen as humble, unassuming, but do you take the initiative to confess your sins before God? You wish to be perceived as positive, cheerful, but do you habitually thank God for everything you have and praise him for who he is? You may speak a great deal about what a blessing your faith is and how you just really love the Lord, but if you are prayerless, is that really true? If you aren't joyful, humble, and faithful in private before God, that what you want to appear to be on the outside won't match what you truly are. So last week we talked about this disconnect between sometimes we, I was talking about the worship songs that we sing and some of the things we sing about and, and then the way we live and, and there's a gap and we need to bring those together. And we talked about the word of God, that we see the word of God and what it says that we need to be and who we're supposed to be in Christ and then how we live and what we believe about ourselves and about others and there's this gap and that our goal is to try to align those things so that we're in harmony with that. And another thing that we're focusing on and hearing today is that we have this outer life and this inner life and that sometimes there's a disconnect between who it is that we say we are, how we present ourselves in public Uh, to our spouse, to our kids, to our co-workers, whoever it might be, that we come across as this Christian person that says they believe this, that, and the other, but our inner life is not in integrity with what it is that we say on the outside. There's a disconnect between what we really believe in our heart and how we act and what we think about others. That belies the things that we say that we believe on the outer surface, and we want to try to bring those things into harmony with each other as we learn what it means to pray. So let's pray as we close today. Heavenly Father, I thank you uh, for this opportunity to come and to learn. God, I've been following Christ for almost thirty years, and I f- still feel like I'm I'm just scratching the surface on what it means to to really know how to, not necessarily how to pray because I don't know that you're really that concerned about the words that we use all the time or whether we say it right or do it right, but God, just the spirit in which I come. God, just the humility of just coming before you and acknowledging my need for you. The posture that you want me to have in terms of understanding the holy God that you are, the righteous God that you are, the God that demands uh, obedience and demands love and demands forgiveness and grace being expressed and poured out in my life that that I might say that I want to do, but I don't always do. <laughs> and so, Lord, I pray that this, this process, this journey that we're on would would shape us and that our prayers would, would take on a different meaning, our excitement about coming to you to pray for others would would grow and develop. God, that we would understand that you give us this opportunity to partner with you and, and then, then to celebrate with you. Not only as we see answered prayers and the difference that it makes in the lives of others, but God, celebrating because who you're, you're making us in the process, that you are, are reminding us, God, that we need you daily, God, that you are life to us. So, Lord, I pray that we would have uh, hearts that are eager to learn. Lord, I pray that this week that we would just pray, <laughs> that if we're not in the habit of that, that we would um, set aside time, to connect with you, to share our hearts with you, to pray for others with you. And God, as we go to your word, that we would listen to how you prayed, to how Paul prayed, and we would begin to notice the things that they prayed. Lord, we love you. We pray in Jesus' name, amen. amen. Let's close as we, stand as we close today.